So Acts, Acts 18. Acts 18. So we've seen a lot. I don't know if you've picked up on the pattern yet, but we've seen a lot. I'm actually going to wheel this over here because most of you guys are over here. We've seen a lot about Paul. We've seen a lot of Paul going into new cities to proclaim the gospel, right? He's been talking about Jesus in these cities with people. He's been declaring who, who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has come. Uh, and through Christ, God has chosen to restore all things. And what we've seen as Paul have, has done this is he's been kind of consistently met with two groups of people. He's been met with um, success and people coming to faith and, and people being restored. But then he's also been met in every single place that he's gone with opposition, right? He's been met with people who are against him, people who want absolutely nothing to do with this Jesus and who Paul is talking about. And so um, tonight, one of the very interesting things that we see is we see God encourage Paul to not be afraid. And one of the fascinating things about this is, you know, typically like when we think of Paul or when we think of any kind of, I don't know, like heavyweight in the faith or like somebody, I don't know, like uh, guys like, for me, like, like Paul or Peter in the scriptures um, or John, you have guys like uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, is a guy that I, I respect dearly. Um, he was uh, really, really well known in the 1700s. He was a, he was a Puritan preacher. Um, he's actually known as like the prince of preachers is what they call him because he was just phenomenally gifted um, with preaching. Uh, John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who died in South America, Lots of these people, these people who are well-known in kind of church history, uh, Augustine of Hippo, all of these guys, um, we can kind of take them and we can put them on this pedestal almost as if they are um, just another level of godly, right? We can even do this with like people we know, um, with pastors or leaders in the church, sometimes our parents, uh, and we can take them and we can put them on this level of godliness uh, that's just unrealistic. It's almost as if they don't struggle with things or they're not tempted in the same ways that we are. And the reality is that every single person is tempted in the same way. Jesus himself put on human flesh and Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way just as we are. And so, yet, he didn't sin. So it's, it's different with Jesus. But um, each of us are tempted. We're all tempted. And, and Paul, here, we see, is tempted to be afraid. This thing is... There we go. Mm. The joys of recording what you say. Um, Paul is tempted here to be afraid. And we see that Paul is tempted here to be afraid because God encourages him not to be. Um, and so I wanted to take this opportunity as we're in this text tonight uh, to talk about fear. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I'll write down one of my fears. Hate snakes. There's a reason that it was a snake in Genesis 3 that deceived Adam and Eve. I'm just saying. Horrible creatures. Spiders. Yeah, Sarah doesn't like spiders. Spiders. Okay. What? College. College itself, just the whole idea. Okay, so like, is that is that finding a college? Is that like just future in general? Future? Okay. Future? Yeah. Okay. Caleb? Your mother, yes, parents, amen. My mom, so uh, when we were growing up, my mom used to get so mad and she'd like get yelling and like, you know, she'd get into it. And we used to call it spit mad because there was just like this level of angry 
where she would just like start spitting everywhere. And you like everybody's like covering their faces, making sure you don't get showered on. So what's up? Huh? Death? Yeah, definitely. Death? That's a good one. Okay. Did one of you guys have your hands raised? No? Okay. Okay. What else? What else are we, we come on, we can come up with more than this. We're all terrified of things. Come on. Huh? Drowning. Yeah. That is kind of terrifying. Drowning. Okay. Oh, yeah, being like being late. Yeah. Story of my life right there. I'm terrible at waking up to my alarm. Sharks. Mm-hmm. Have you ever have you ever had the like the privilege to hold a shark? No? Okay. Gr- girls? Girls can be scary, definitely. Girls can definitely be scary. Or intimidating. It can be intimidating to talk to the opposite gender. We'll put guys up there because guys can be a little scary too. Or smelly, whichever, however, how old, depending on how old they are. Yeah, losing someone. Yeah, that's, that's good. Losing someone. In the many ways that that could happen, right? What else? Heights, yeah. What about this one? What about that one? What about what about this one? Yeah. Failure? Anyone? Yeah? Yeah, not being good enough? Mm-hmm. This thing is like wobbling. Can I ask you a question, Lavelle? Good enough for who? Peers? Yeah. Yeah. Embarrassment, yeah. What about this one? Abused? Or taken advantage of? Cheated. It's a pretty good one, right? If we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, many of these things, I'm going to scratch off the ones that don't. There's just like a, there's another level to those, right? Because if, if we're honest, I think each of us is fearful of all of those. At some, at some level, we're afraid of each of those. 
and they control us. They do. They do. When I was in middle school, when I hit seventh grade, I changed schools. Um, at uh, my old school, when I was in sixth grade, I was a skateboarder. Uh, I wish I wore like skateboarder clothes, right? Um, I had long, shaggy hair. Uh, I was like, almost had like a mullet. My hair was about this long when I was in sixth grade. Uh, I should. My dad has a picture of it on his shelf. I'll have to have him take a picture of that picture so I can show it to you sometime. Super long hair. I just I played the part as a skateboarder, and I had played that part for a while, right? So I was. I was about 12 years old, right, in sixth grade, and I had been skateboarding since about third or second grade. So I, I'd been in that, that demographic, or however you want to say it, that social circle for a while. And I switched schools. I moved out, um, kind of out of the city of Charlotte, uh, kind of out into the country, into the suburbs, uh, into a place called Indian, Tra- Indian Trail. That's where my dad lived. I went to a school out there called Porter Ridge. You might have heard me talk about it before. I was at that school through middle school and then through my freshman year of high school. I moved to the Peoria area uh, October of my sophomore year. So up until October of my sophomore year, I was in that school system. And I had like a little mini identity crisis in seventh grade because I moved out to the country and out in the country where there's like no stairs or handrails or places to walk, nobody skateboarded. I didn't know what to do. So because of these, let's see, because of this one and this one and this one and this one, I decided that I wanted to change the way that I looked. So guess where I went? I went where every good person goes to change the way they look. Hollister. Come on, that's funny. You can laugh. Yeah, amen. Come on. Mm, mm. So, but I went to Hollister, right? Because so back then, back when I was in middle school, Hollister and Abercrombie were like a big deal. They're not anymore, but they were back then. Um, and so I, like, I bought as many t-shirts, shirts that I could find with that big honking seagull on it, as loud and proud as I possibly could, because I began to find my value in those things. Why? Because I allowed my fear to control me. It controlled the way that I lived, the way that I acted. What else did I start doing? I started playing football. I liked football. I genuinely did. Um, but my seventh grade year was really the first year I, I like watched a full season of football on TV and enjoyed it. I started playing football. I was third string bench. Uh, I played running back and slot receiver. And uh, it was really cool. I ended up working up my way to uh, being a starter my eighth grade year. By the end of my eighth grade year, I was starting. But um, so I, all this work in football, right, through, through eighth grade, um, I was doing a ton of drugs throughout the whole process. I ended up getting uh, to the place where I could start. And I, I went into the weight room, right, because uh, you get high school, you get a weight room. That's what happens when, when, when high school sports start to happen. So summer comes, workouts are in. So first day of workouts, I go in um, to lift. And some of you guys know I had the opportunity to lift with Luke last week. Um, I'm lifting with you on Friday. But uh, I, lo- I do love to work out when I'm not lazy and can get off my butt. So if you want to help me get off my butt, ask me to work out with you. I totally will. Um, but so I went to the gym to work out. And I was a tiny, tiny, tiny dude in high school. I was probably smaller than you, Luca, when I was a freshman. Seriously, I was, I was teeny tiny. So, um, so I, I, I go into the weight room, and, like, there's these, like, massive seniors, right? The varsity football team's in there working out. And I'm, like, looking at these, like, dang, this guy's big. Um, 
can I just touch your arm? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, they're huge, huge guys. And then like the JV team, because uh, down there in North Carolina, all the high schools are just JV and varsity. So there's no freshman team or any of that. So the JV team gets together. We meet the coach. We go through some kind of drills. We stretch. We do all those things. Well, then it's time to hit the weight room. Uh, so we go in the weight room, and they're teaching us how to do things like cleans and jerks and stuff like that because that's what, you know, you do when you start lifting weights. And um, we get to the, the part where we go, and they're kind of, uh, they want to see where we're at physically. So they kind of put us through this physical exam. And I go up to a bar. There's a bench. And for those of you who've never seen one, it's got a big bar on it, and it weighs 45 pounds. So I go over to this thing, and we're supposed to see how many curls we could do. I couldn't lift this thing once. 45-pound bar my freshman year high school. Couldn't lift this thing once. So I, I pick it up, you know, try to curl it. I'm, like, struggling. I'm, like, you know, like, the funniest thing, if you're ever in the gym and you want to know if somebody's lifting too much weight while they're curling, they're doing this with their back, trying to pick it up. Super funny. But I was trying to do that and pick it up. And this guy started picking on me. Uh, he was just joking around. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't being serious. He was actually a friend of mine. His name was Andreas. He was an awesome guy. His last name was Imafo because he was from Africa, and he was, a, he was sweet. This guy was amazing. Um, one of my best friends from seventh grade all the way to ninth grade. So this guy was somebody I was familiar with. Not a stranger, right? Not a stranger at all. And uh, Andreas started messing with me. And this dude was, like, cut in eighth grade. He looked like he was, like, 20. He was just one of those kids. And he, he started just kind of messing with me a little bit. This jacked me up. Jacked me up. Never came back to workouts again. Because I thought I was experiencing this, and I experienced that, and that. Our fear controls us. It, it causes us to change the trajectory of our lives. I started using drugs out of fear because of, I, wa I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be uh, familiar with people. I wanted to fit in, right? It controls us. Fear paralyzes us. It, it causes us to not want to go forward, especially as it relates to our future. And we freak out over our future, don't we? We do. We freak out about it. The crazy thing is, <laughs> the Lord already knows what we're supposed to do in our future, and the only thing that's happening is He is aligning our will with where He wants us to go. That's what He's doing. We freak out about our future. And the reason why is because we, we hold on to it like this. Because we want to make sure that we're, we do what we want, what our plans are, and we hold on to it. And fear of losing out on those plans freaks us out. We are deeply, deeply fearful people. And I have a theory, and I believe the Bible affirms this theory. But I think we are, we are, we are deeply fearful people because we have missed what it means to see God as supreme. We do not see God as supreme, and because we do not see God as supreme, we are fearful. And I could say, I could use like a less complicated word, I could say God's greatness, but I think, I think we say that too much. I don't think it captures the fullness of the supremacy of God, how, how God reigns over all things and is in control of everything. And he's got his hand in everything. But we lose sight of what matters. We fill ourselves with fear and anxiety because we lose sight of God's supremacy. And a high view of God's supremacy strips away our fear. It does. Fear and a, and a genuine view of God's supreme nature cannot exist together. You see, the supremacy of God drives out our fear, and we, we see that in this text tonight. 
So I'm going to read it, and then I want to talk about two things tonight. I want to talk about how God is supreme over our purpose and what we are called to do and how God is supreme over people. Not just us, but over other people and their purpose. And so let's read. I want to read verses 1 through 11. I do not have them on the screen, so um, you can either close your eyes or listen to me, look on with a neighbor. Uh, But it says this. After this, he, that's Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go on to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray real quick. Lord, this is your word. May we see it as your word. May we see this as the very breath of God captured in pages. The supreme God over all things who spoke the world into being revealed himself through this word. And I pray that we would, we would see that tonight. God, that we would see this word as supernatural. That we would see this world at, word as transforming. That we would see this word as valuable. God, and we would, we would pay attention to its words. We would pay attention, attention to its wisdom. Lord God, give us life through your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So God is supreme over our purpose. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 talks about Paul coming into the city. And what does he do? Well, he starts doing what he's good at. Not just preaching the gospel, but he started working, right? He worked as a tent maker. And um, these two people who would become partners in ministry with Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, these two people actually worked with him. And after Paul left Corinth, after a year and a half, he took these two guys with him, or this guy and this girl with him. Uh, They were a husband and wife. And one of the interesting things that I love is that God takes his purpose that he has for Paul and calls Paul to take it into his everyday life. Take it to your job. And so what Paul begins to do is he pulls these two people close who are working with him as tent makers. And we know that he begins to disciple them because he pulls them close and takes them to Ephesus and they begin doing ministry in the town of Ephesus after Corinth. And so Paul gets in touch with these two people and begins to train them in what it means to follow Jesus and help them follow the Lord and teach them what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected to give life to us and to to connect us back to God because we've been separated from him. And Paul began to walk through these things with them. Began to teach them what it meant to follow Jesus and what it meant to help others follow Jesus, to love God and love people and to truly, truly be devoted to God as a follower of Jesus. 
God took his purposes for Paul into Paul's everyday life and called Paul to apply them. But not only that, you move a little bit further down and Paul is, you know, he's sharing the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus in a public place in a synagogue where, where, where Jewish rabbis would go to teach. And he began to be rejected by the Jews and they kicked him out. But this guy named Titius Justice, which is a funny name to me, um, a worshiper of God who lived right next door to the synagogue began opening up his house for Paul to proclaim the gospel at. So what I love about this is, I, I love this picture, because the synagogue operated much like a, a church building does on Sunday. You see, on Saturdays, when it was the Sabbath, Jews would gather together at the synagogue. So you can imagine all these Jews walking into the synagogue, and Paul is preaching. He's not allowed to preach at the synagogue anymore, but God set him up in a place where he could preach as people are walking by, going into the synagogue. He could still get the gospel to them, even though they had rejected him initially. God provided him with friends that would help him do this. Help him fulfill his purpose. He wasn't alone in that. Not only did he have Priscilla and Aquila as friends to help him do this, but then he also had this guy named Titius Justice, and the leader of the synagogue got saved. And so Paul began to use this influence that he had with the leader of the synagogue to, to get the gospel outward. You see, God is supreme over Paul's purposes because we see God orchestrating the circumstances and people in Paul's life to make sure that his purpose is accomplished. Let me say that again. We see, ooh, my remote fell. We see God supreme over Paul's purpose because God is orchestrating the circumstances of Paul's life to fulfill that purpose. What about you? What about your circumstances? What about your purpose? Well, your purpose is wherever you are to love God, love people, and make disciples. That is like the quickest way for me to describe that. Now, the way that that will look, depending on your friends and where you're at, might be a little bit different, but uh, for all of us, it's going to be very similar. We're going to devote ourselves to God and His ways. We're going to love and serve people well, and we're going to help other people follow Jesus and see what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to orchestrate and orient our lives in order to accomplish that mission. That's what it means to be a believer. That's how the love of God impacts our life and causes us to move outward. That's what happens. The crazy thing is two fears up there that would cause us to just be paralyzed at fear at accomplishing these purposes is failure, rejection, being alone. Three, failure, rejection, and being alone. And we do. We, we, we make excuses not to get the gospel outward at school or represent Christ well at school because of those things, because we're, we're, we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of failing. We don't want to say the wrong thing, right? Like that's, that's a legitimate fear. When I was in Minneapolis, um, it was cold. Oh my goodness, it was cold. If we were outside for more than like five minutes, your face hurt. I mean, it was like freezing. I'd never walked around in that cold of weather before. Um, one of the sad things was, was Sarah and I went down to North Carolina for Christmas, and I only have one jacket that has a zipper that works, like a heavy coat. I have a gray heavy coat and a, and a black heavy coat. And my, my, my black one I left down in North Carolina. It was the only one that I had that... Um, had a zipper that worked. So I had my gray one up in Minneapolis, but I, it didn't zip. 
So I just I had a heavy coat, but like I mean, it's fair game. The wind can get in there, and I you know get all cold. And so I was like walking around Minneapolis like this, like you know trying to take two sides of my jacket and cover myself up. And so this one day we were walking to lunch, and we were going to this place called Witch Witch, which was it's like a really cool sandwich shop in Minneapolis. And uh, so we're walking al- along the road, and this homeless lady comes up to us and asks us for some money, right? Because you're in the city, and that happens a lot in the city. It's pretty common. Um, there's a lot of pain and suffering in, in big metropolitan areas. And you, you, if you're in the city, walking around for in the city for 15, 20 minutes, usually you experience some of that pain in some level. So this lady comes up to me, and um, this might not be what you were taught to do. This is what I do. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you should do this. But usually if I have money on me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to them. Uh, that's just how I roll. I'm not responsible for how you spend it. Um, but I want, I want to help genuinely. And so I, I gave this this lady money, and usually what I try to do, I try to spend some sort of time having some sort of conversation or dialogue with them. Um, oftentimes, I'll invite them to a meal or something like that, but in this certain situation, I began to make excuses. The moment that she started asking me for money, I began to make excuses to why I couldn't talk to her. It's too cold. We have to get to lunch. We have a session at the conference that we have to get back to, and I, I don't have time to sit here and talk to this lady. So I began to make excuses. What was really happening was I was afraid, and I got a genuine urge from the spirit of the lord to talk to this woman and pray with her and i ignored it i just pushed it away and luckily i had friends with me but we all did the same thing we all ignored it we pushed it away and it was interesting because the next day as we were reflecting as, as of some of the things that god was convicting us of through this conference that we were at together um, we began to have this conversation about this lady and, and just kind of how we dropped the ball there. And we didn't um, do what we should have in that situation. We didn't, um, we didn't pray for her. We didn't share the gospel with her. We didn't do anything eternally beneficial. We just gave her a dollar. And I'm sharing that story with you to tell you that I, I am not exempt from the fear that you feel. I understand. I get it. It is hard hard work to be faithful publicly. It is. It is so easy for you to blend in. And that's why we need to be reminded that God is not just supreme over our purposes, but he is supreme over people. God is supreme over people. Look at verse 6. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You see, Paul got rejected by these people. And the interesting thing, so he, he, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but it would probably look really funny if I just like shook out my clothes at you, right? Like that's, that's awkward. That doesn't mean anything to us. But back then, what this would have meant is, in your presence, I have gotten dust on my clothes. I want Nothing to do with you, so much so that even the dust that was on me when I was with you, I don't want on me anymore. You see what I'm saying? You see what's going on? Paul doesn't want anything to do with these people anymore. It's not because he doesn't like them. It's because Paul understands the commands of Jesus. You see, Jesus commanded the disciples when they would go into a town, if they would meet somebody or if they would go into a house and the people were not hospitable, the people rejected the gospel, that they were to to kick the dust off of their feet. It was the same imagery. But the idea here is this. Paul has done his job. He has proclaimed the gospel to the lost. He has been faithful in that and consistent. 
He didn't just do it once. He did it over and over and over and over again. And once it reached a point where they just resisted and began to blaspheme God to him, he said, you know what? I have nothing to do with you anymore. Your blood is on your own heads. I did my job. I was faithful. I proclaimed the gospel to you. You are rejecting it. And he left peacefully. If more believers did this, we wouldn't get in dumb arguments. Seriously. Once people begin to resist and blaspheme, we say, okay, I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to push anymore. I don't need to convince you. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't have this. He's not going to push forward to convince them. He's not going to argue with them. He's not going to get into it with them. He's just, fine, you want to reject it, reject it, whatever. Your blood's on your own heads. But then right after that, we see many people get saved and baptized in Corinth. We see the leader of that synagogue of people who rejected him get saved. We see a guy living next door open up his home. Never in the history of the 2,000 years that people have been talking about Jesus has there been a man that proclaimed the kingdom of God and all of its benefits that did not get rejected. Why would we think we are any different? Why do I think I'm different? That I'm going to just somehow magically proclaim the gospel and everybody's going to get saved. That's not how it works. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, got rejected when he proclaimed the gospel. Why wouldn't we? Think about that. God, in human form, proclaimed the gospel and he even got rejected. Jesus was rejected. And so... In our purpose, we are promised both success and rejection. But not a rejection of us. That's the difference. You see, this isn't actually what's happening when people reject you when, they share, when you share the good news. They're not, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel. They're not rejecting you. They're not resisting you. They're resisting Christ. They're resisting the Spirit's work, not your work. And because of that peace... Paul is able to leave. Paul's able to say, you know what, fine. I got nothing to do with you. I've done my work. Here's what we do. We either do one of two things. In that situation, when people begin to resist, we begin to like argue with them and push back. That's what I'm tempted to do. I'll be honest with you. That's what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted to like throw my boxing gloves on. And, All right, we're going to duke it out because I'm right and you're wrong. That's just how I roll. And it's wrong. I shouldn't do that. That's aggressive. That's not loving. That's self-righteous, it's prideful, is what that really is. And so, so maybe some of you are on that extreme over here with me, like, I'm right, and I'm going to prove it to you. Or you're on this extreme of, they're lost, I want nothing to do with them. You see, you've convinced yourself of their rejection before you even said anything. And so we, we say, oh, well, I'm rejected, or we assume that they're going to reject us. We don't trust in God to work in that moment. And so we, we just, we don't talk about Jesus at all. We don't, we don't lean in. We don't say anything. Paul here does both at the same time in a good way. He leans in and he says something, but then he disconnects when he gets that resistance. He realizes that there's a line where it's like, you know what, I'm good. And he has peace about that. He has comfort because God is supreme. Paul is not supreme. God is supreme, and he understands that. And the reason why we know it's God's supremacy is the comfort that God gives Paul in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, do not be afraid. So here I'm telling you, do not be afraid. Me, to you, 
Don't be afraid. But wherever you go, keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you. For. I love the word for in the Bible. Usually it means because. So why is Paul not to be afraid? Why should Paul keep speaking? Why should Paul not be silent? Because God is with him. The supreme God is with Paul. And because of that, Paul doesn't need to fear. Paul can keep speaking. Paul can keep talking. But not only that, check this out. I'm with you. Verse 10. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. Now this is a very interesting passage. Some people might think that this means uh, nobody will lay a hand on you. I have many people in this city. Like, I got lots of people who will help protect you, right? There's many of my people here. They'll help protect you. Nobody's going to lay a hand on you. That's not what he's talking about. I love this. No one will lay a hand on you, for I have many people in this city means, Paul, you have work to do. Because I have reserved for myself many people who will come to faith through your work, through your ministry in this city, and I, I'm not finished with this city. And we see that Paul faithfully spends a year and a half. This is the longest time in the whole book of Acts leading up to this point that Paul had spent in one, one location other than his hometown of Antioch. A year and a half he spent in the city of Corinth. Why? Because God had people there for Paul to minister to. God had reserved for himself. God had chosen people in that city that he wanted to draw to faith through Paul. God has people in this city, this area, this region, Woodford County. And if you are in Christ, he's got work for you to do. And he is with you. He is so with you. And he is supreme and in control. And there is absolutely nothing that the most evil powers of this world can do to stop what he wants to accomplish. Think about that. There is no evil, no demonic power, nothing that can stop the will of God from progressing in this city. That should give us confidence. Oh my goodness, that should give us confidence. The reality that the most evil existence ever can do nothing at the expansion of the kingdom of God. And God wants to use us to expand it. Because he has people here. And so we do not need to be afraid. God has a reason to keep you alive today. And that reason is to be with you and to use you to accomplish his purposes. The presence of God should give us comfort. It should give us peace. It should give us assurance. We should have this sort of certainty that we know that God is at work. We should, the presence of God gives us an awareness of what he's doing and we see it and we, we get excited and fired up about it. You see, the moment that we're not fired up for the kingdom of God is the moment where we realize we are not relying on God. We are relying on our own strength and power. If you are not absolutely gripped with the beauty of who God is, 
you are not relying on God. And you are focused on your own strength and your own power. The presence of God should shake us out of our sleep. It gives us power. Again, no evil can stand against the work that God wants to accomplish. Nothing, absolutely nothing. No person, no power, no government, authority. We do not have to be afraid of a single thing that this world can throw at us because God is with us. Absolutely nothing. The presence of God holds us accountable, right? We kind of heard that a little bit in the story I shared earlier where I kind of dropped the ball and the presence of God was like, hey, you messed up here. See that fear? I want to fix that. Let me fix that. Surrender that to me. It gives us direction, even for our future. It gives us certainty, not just of our own salvation, but of our, our mission and our calling and our purpose. It gives us determination, joy eagerness to go. How might you be comforted by the presence of God working in you to give you a greater picture that, that He is supreme? Supreme. Let's pray. God, help us. We need you. We want more. We want more of an awareness of your spirit. We want more of a view of what you're doing. We want more clarity from your word. We want to see you clearly. And so God, give us certainty of our salvation. If we are not saved, remind us how we can get saved. Show us how we can get saved. Show us how we can come to Christ. That it's only through Jesus that we can connect with you. Bring us to a believing faith, a saving faith in Christ. Motivate us through saving faith in Christ to Share the gospel with the people in our life to talk about how you are impacting us to confess our, our sin to one another, to pray for one another, to help one another in this work, to rely on you and your power and your strength as we do this work. Oh, we need you. God, we cannot do this without you. And I pray that that, that, that truth would just reign home with us tonight. God, that you are supreme over all in control of all things. You have your hand in everything and no evil can stand against you. And you are with us. And so no evil can stand against us. By your Spirit's power, let that truth sink deeply in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.